So uh, truth be told, so my pastor, friend, and colleague who lives in another state, and I won't say where, and I won't say this person's name, but uh, they were having problems with bats in their house. And, and he was reaching out to his friends on Facebook and saying, hey, I have bats in my house. I don't know how to get, out, get them out of my house. Anybody have any recommendations? Well, one of his colleagues, uh, who was a local pastor at the Lutheran Church in town, and I guess a small town, she said, I have the perfect solution, right? You invite all those bats to come to church, get them all confirmed. You'll never see them again. And I was like, oh, man, that's pretty rough. <laughs> I don't know if anybody from her church saw that, but uh, anyway, that better not be any of our people. So uh, we continue our uh, sermon series through the Beatitudes, and this morning we're on Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, which says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And maybe uh, in some of your translation you might see sons of God. Uh, this Greek word, it was one of the first uh, Greek words that we had to learn in New Testament Greek in seminary, which is this word huyas, which means uh, son. Anyway, we're going to get more into that a little bit later. Um, but peacemaker, you know who is a great peacemaker here in our church? Our very own Pastor John Black. Look at him. Varsity, right there. He is a peacemaker. And uh, he was called to this church uh, after our church experienced a split back in 2003, and he came in, and he was uh, one of the instrumental people in helping bring some restoration, some peace, and some rec reconciliation, and healing some of the hurt that had been gone, going on because of the church split, and he was by far the right call um, to this church during that time. Do you know who's not a natural peacemaker, at least in, 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 uh, in this person's opinion, is me. Uh, I'm more of a confrontational kind of a person. Uh, my parents were here during the first service, and I said, hey, you can ask them, but I'm definitely more of a confrontational person. But as I was doing studying of this particular passage, I realized that sometimes confrontation is actually what a peacemaker is all about, but we're going to get into that as well. As a reminder, these be attitudes teach us what it is to have a taste of the kingdom of heaven. These beatitudes are not a litmus test to determine how good of a Christian you are or aren't, but they point us to what is ideal for the kingdom of heaven. And each of these beatitudes is formulaic. If you want this, you can, uh, you need to do this. If you do this, you can expect this in return. They also are done uh, in a way and are all interrelated, but they are done in a specific order for a specific purpose. And verse 9 that we're going over today is no different. Now, this, uh, this idea, peacemaker, those who are blessed, those who will experience this blessing for being a peacemaker will be called sons of God. Now, if Pastor John comes back next week after listening to the sermon, because he is out um, in Minnesota, might be coming back today or tomorrow, but if he comes in and he introduces himself next week as a son of God, um, we might say that's a little bit heretical, a little too far, but within the context of this passage, it might actually be kind of accurate because in the description of whoever the son of is, 
is a description of who they are because of the characteristics. For instance, if we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we see that Barnabas was called son of encouragement. Why? Because he was an encouraging person. A son of encouragement meant that he was an encouraging person. And likewise, when Jesus goes and he sends the disciples out first, in uh, chapter 10 of Luke, verse 6, he says, Go find a place, a person of peace in a house. Find a person of peace. It was actually the son of peace. I went back and looked it up in the Greek. And again, there was that word huyas again, which means son, a son of peace. Someone who was a peaceful person. So to be a son of God, to be sons of God, children of God, it was literally to take on God's characteristics. You see how that makes sense now. And since John is a peacemaker, you can call him sons of God or children of God or something like that, but maybe that's a little too much for all of us. So let's look at peacemaker. Okay, hold on. So like I mentioned before, um, each one of these beatitudes is connected with one another. So we're in verse 9, but if we go back and we look at verse 8 that we did uh, last week, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Because to know the heart of God, to understand the heart of God, is to be a peacemaker. And so if you now are a peacemaker, and God desires peace and reconciliation to take place, and then in verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be a peacemaker does not typically mean to be a peacekeeper. It means to make peace. Making peace is often very difficult. It's very difficult, especially when those who are in conflict do not want to change. Here are some ways we can look at this. First, Jesus is pointing out to what is true in heaven. And since Jesus is bringing this truth now from heaven to earth, these two kingdoms now are beginning to become aligned. The one who brings peace is Christ. In fact, Christ is referred to as the Prince of Peace. But now we run into a conundrum a little bit later when we hit Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, where Jesus, in his own words, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and Jesus himself says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, then it sounds like the two are not connected. Does anybody have any questions of how these two can be reconciled to one another? I don't see any hands, so I won't tell you then what the answer is. No, I will. Here we go. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of conflict. When Jesus says he has come to bring a sword, he is talking about a true weapon, but an object that cuts through something or divides it, separates us. In the context of that passage in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus saying is after this, you must put God first and foremost above any other relationship. God has to be first. 
You must put God first in everything and above all else, and it might divide the family. It might divide relationships because peace and true reconciliation and peace and following after God might create conflict in some of those relationships that we are close with. You see, God's kingdom can have nothing in common with an earthly kingdom. It can have nothing in common with Satan's kingdom or the kingdom of darkness. Just like oil and water cannot mix, neither can God's kingdom with anything else here on earth. You can't have it both ways. Either you're in it to win it, fully committed to Jesus Christ, or you're not. So stop trying to divide your interest away from God and be about this kingdom building here on earth as it is in heaven. This peacemaking Jesus is talking about is going to create conflict is, what, is why he says what he does in chapter 10. If you try saving your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. This this sword of truth is going to divide between bone and marrow. Uh, This pastor, Gregory Brown, who uh, got his PhD, he says, look, everybody loves this concept of peace, but very few are willing to be active in creating it. It is impossible to have peace without God's righteousness. Peace without righteousness is just truce with sin. The pursuit of peace often results in trouble. You don't believe me? You don't believe Gregory, Pastor Greg here? Well, think of a time when you were young and you were forced to say that you were sorry to someone when you weren't really sorry about what you did. Anybody been in that situation before? This guy a lot. Being forced to say, hey, okay, make up, say you're sorry, and get on with it. Was there ever a true peace that was made? It was not. It was just simply a truce with sin, still holding resentment or bitterness in our hearts. It's not true peacemaking. And this is what Christ is challenging on uh, us all on today. This forced sense of peace, trying to be an understanding of a human's understanding of peace. Think of this peacekeeping operations or think of the Palestinians and the Israelis. How well is that peacekeeping going? We think of any conflict that's happening where there is a ceasefire or forced peace. Is there true peace and reconciliation that is taking place or is it just a truce with sin? In fact, Jesus It says, look, if you're going to pursue peace, you're going to be a peacemaker, you can expect that there's going to be some opposition against you. When you follow after my kingdom, it is going to create some conflict. Not bad conflict, but necessary conflict. And in fact, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 9 also tells us this truth. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. 
However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. Jesus also tells us in the Beatitudes after verse 9 what you can expect if you're going to pursue peace, starting in verse 10. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say, uh, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Don't think that being a peacemaker is going to be all warm and fuzzy, unicorn and rainbows, and everyone's going to be happy. True peace and reconciliation is hard work. It takes effort. And sometimes it's just easier for us to sit on the sidelines and do absolutely nothing. It's hard to bring about peace when we avoid confrontation. But if we are taking Jesus at his word, those who pursue being a peacemaker within this context, and we tie it in with those, first, uh, those next two verses, we can see that being a peacemaker might actually cost us our lives. We will be persecuted like the prophets that came before. Now, as someone who did not grow up in the 50s and 60s, I can only imagine the great pain, the courage, and the righteous angers to those who stood up against various injustices as they saw as contrary to the will of God. I'm thinking about those who chose a nonviolent approach against the unjust laws during the civil rights movement. These protests, these demonstrations, these marches did not bring about peace, they brought about disorder. And the disorder that was in the pursuit of peace was to bring and shine light on something that needed to be reconciled. True peace and reconciliation needed to take place. And I think about those protests uh, during the Vietnam War that I've seen pictures of, and maybe some of you were a part of those, but people, hundreds of thousands of people took to the street protesting against the U.S. policy and the war that was going on in Vietnam, and were those marches and demonstrations peaceful? A lot of them were not. What about the abolitionists who fought against uh, uh, abolishing slavery around the world, and in the United States, did that bring about peace? It led to a civil war. True reconciliation and true peace sometimes brings up conflict, but if we are just choosing to have a truce without pursuing righteousness, then we're still living in sin. And those people who pursue peacemaking above all else are huge encouragers to those who maybe do not have a voice for themselves, who do not have the ability to speak up, who are marginalized, those who are discouraged. 
but people who have come alongside of those who are suffering, maybe suffering in silence, and someone comes and they walk alongside of them and they carry the burdens with them, it's a huge encouragement. This is an important aspect of Christianity, while, why we do things in community, why we work together as people to bring about peace. We encourage those who are suffering, those who are marginalized, those who are suffering and who cannot stand on their own. And we see people who are true peacemakers fight with all of their might to be able to create the change that is needed to make the reconciliation possible during times of difficulty. And they're not always popular. It's not a popular thing to be a peacemaker. Truce with sin and not peace. The intent behind Jesus' words, and if I could be as humble to tell you what our Lord and Savior is telling us, and I do this with a great deal of trepidation this morning, is that if you want to pursue peacemaking and you are going to be blessed, you are going to experience just a little bit more of what it means to have the kingdom of heaven. You're going to experience the kingdom of heaven just a little bit more, to become more Christ-like. And do not be surprised when people despise you or alienate you or hate you or want you to have your life taken because you are standing up against the evils that exist in this world for the pursuit of peace. You are taking up love beyond yourself to care for those who need a voice. And we do this for people who don't always deserve it. This is exactly why Christ came to this earth in the first place. It's because none of us deserve the reconciliation that needed to take place between us and God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, and the old is gone. The new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We didn't deserve it. God gave it to us, and now we are his ambassadors to this world. Peacemakers have to seek a reconciled relationship between them and God and with others. That is the pursuit of righteousness. And we are God's ambassadors now to this world to create peace and bring about God's kingdom here on earth. And since God has done the reconciling first and no longer counts our sins against us for those who are in Christ, now we need then to make sure reconciliation takes place amongst others and on this world, in this world. And this is what I alluded to in my last sermon when I talked about hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God. We should be hungry and thirsting for this right relationship with God and a right relationship with others beyond all else. And when we allow our own satisfaction to be fulfilled through other things, which are really just cheap substitutes, we end up feeling empty inside. And this is where we can all confront sin. 
Because Jesus gives us a formula to be able to go and say, this is how we need to conduct ourselves within our body of believers. If there is an issue going on and sin needs to be confronted, this is how you do it. In Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 18, it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out the fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that uh, the matter, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they still refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would as a pagan or tax collector. We confront privately, because hopefully confronting someone privately, they will be able to hear our heart and understand that we're not doing it to try to bring everybody else into the issue. We're trying to just reconcile or bring up something to the person individually. But if they're not willing to listen, you've got to maybe bring a couple other people with you who are doing it out of their grace and love and truth. And then if they're still unwilling to listen and you've brought it to the matter to the church and they're still not wanting to listen to you, then invite them to maybe find a place where they can connect somewhere else. Because if we allow people to just act however they want to act within our church, is that going to bring about true peace and reconciliation within our own body if we just allow people act to act however they want with no accountability? We let them be able to follow their own rebelliousness somewhere else, but we do not want them to create that conflict here within our body because it will divide us. Sometimes being a peacemaker means having to confront in truth and in grace. We move away from appeasement to a right relationship. And again, that's a difficult process. Yeah, I might have said that. I know that I'm not supposed to talk about COVID, but you remember COVID? So about three years ago, a little uh, longer than three years ago, this uh, novel coronavirus came out. I don't know if you remember, but it was a big deal. And uh, early on, we were all trying to figure out how to handle this here at our church. Lots of meetings, lots of phone calls. We're trying to determine what to do. And Pastor John, being the peacemaker that he is, took it on the chin from everybody People who thought our church should be doing more within our government, local, federal government guidelines of what we should do as a church, he took it on the chin from people who thought we were doing way too much. And he, and he walked that balance, and he, and he was trying to bring the church together. And I think over three years from where we were before, we're much healthier as a congregation. Some people have left, some people have come, and we are healthier do you see what I did there, healthier, because the COVID thing? Nope, over, over the head. That's okay. That's all right. First service also had a difficult time. So, being a peacemaker and being able to walk that fine line and where people are mad at you from both sides, it probably means you're doing something right. It probably means you're doing something right. And I can't think of any better, anything better than Pastor John and his leadership during that time. He modeled that for me. And I know, look at this, John's not even here today. And I'm singing his accolades, you know, left and right here. But I'm sure he's listening. So, John, love you. There you go. All right. In summary, 
Confirmands, if you're taking notes, you're welcome. You eighth, seventh graders going into eighth graders. Number one, peacemaking does not mean peacekeeping. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me and you're going to go about bringing peacefulness, people are going to get upset and you might even be killed for his name's sake. Number two from Pastor Gregory Brown, he says, everyone loves the concept of peace, but very few are willing to be active in creating it. It's impossible to have peace without God's righteousness. Peace without righteousness is just a truce with sin. The pursuit of peace often results in trouble. Number three, our true trajectory towards peacemaking is towards righteousness always. We cannot follow a human model. It must be righteousness, God's righteousness, a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. Number four, reconciliation has taken place between God and us. For those who have accepted Christ, right, God no longer counts our sins against us. We are reconciled to God, and now we serve as God's ambassador to this world, bringing about his kingdom. Number five, holding people accountable and standing in the gap for people being marginalized is not going to be popular. But peacemaking brings a needed confrontation to injustices, and Jesus demonstrated this with the Pharisees. Number six, if you pursue peacemaking, you are a peacemaker and you are going to be blessed. You are going to experience just a little bit more of what the kingdom of heaven is all about. As part of our sermon series through the Beatitudes, we've invited people to come up and offer a testimony of what God has shown them or demonstrated in their lives. And uh, the person who's going to be sharing their testimony now is Roger Trimmel as he comes up. He's going to talk about the connection between what it is to be a peacemaker through an encourager and what uh, a true encouragement really looks like. So thanks, Roger. Thank you, Jeremy. And by, I know most of you, a lot of you here, but by way of introduction, I was a longtime basketball coach at McPherson College, assisted at Canton Galva, still assisting at Little River. I just can't stay out of the gym on it. Uh, how many of you have heard of Pistol Pete Maravich? You can raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you. How about... Uh, Dr. Dobson and focus on the family. Pete Maravich was supposed to speak on Dr. Dobson's radio uh, show, but they had an early morning pickup basketball game and he collapsed and died. Because of this, focus on the family started Pete Maravich basketball camps and I had a friend from McPherson College who worked for Dr. Dobson and included me and several other coaches from Kansas in that camp. After Focus uh, discontinued the camp, we picked it up, moved it here to Kansas, called it, uh, uh, well, we changed the name of it. And uh, one of the most important things, though, that we kept was uh, a Barnabas Award. And as Jeremy has explained in his sermon uh, in Acts 4.36, that Barnabas was an encourager. One Barnabas Award winner that really stood out to me during our time uh, in the camp was a, a boy named Nathan, a bit shy, undersized, not very athletic, but some older boys took him under their wing. 
And by the third day, Nathan was standing in line with the counselors, high-fiving the campers as they walked in for the morning session. Uh, he, uh, whenever we were playing camp games, he encouraged his teammates, but he also complimented his opponents as well. He became uh, an encouraging chatterbox. And then it happened. On the last day of camp, last game we played, Nathan scored a basket, his first and only basket. His teammates stopped and mobbed him. The amazing thing was the opponent stopped and joined in the celebration for, uh, for Nathan. It was an ESPN highlight moment. In conclusion, uh, at the conclusion of camp, his mother came to us and said that uh, he was really excited about coming to camp. He was excited about coming home and talking about it. And he thought next year in school, he probably wasn't good enough to make the team, but he was going to talk to the coach and, and volunteer to be the basketball manager. And I'm sure he ended up being a very good manager. So encouragement in a positive, is positive words and actions, and that builds confidence. Be bold. A sincere compliment, a text, or if you don't want to go old school and send a note through the mail, we all have a platform. We need to, uh, to use it. Now, my, I have encouragement and uh, peacemaking intertwined with one another. And my own example of a peacemaker was in first grade. I and another boy had a little squabble. Teacher took me uh, back to the back door and set me in the back uh, hallway, stand there, took the other, the other boy into the front hallway and stood there, I guess to cool off. When she brought us back in, then we had to apologize in front of the class and we had to shake hands. So I thought that was the end of the story. But no, unfortunately, the issue was brought up at the supper table at home. As you see, my dad was the principal. And well, there was a popular TV show back in that time called Father Knows Best. And my dad, my earthly father, we started a conversation, a one-way conversation. He said in a calm voice, and I received the message of a peacemaker. And my role was to listen. Message of a peacemaker was received and understood. On the uh, overhead, we have some, uh, out in the lobby, some uh, decal stickers that are free for you to take to spread the word. One I have on my pickup, it's a conversation starter, Acts 4.36. And that conversation sometimes leads to God's message of salvation through Jesus Christ. We have a smaller one that might be put on the back window or used as a bookmark to uh, remind us to be a peacemaker, be an encourager, be a Barnabas. And this starts 
at home with the family. I want to give a special shout out to the best peacemakers and encourages that are right here among us. This is your special day. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Roger. Uh, would you please uh, pray with me? God, as we, uh, we heard your message today and the, and the challenge of what it is to be a peacemaker and also to be an encourager, uh, just give us the strength that we need to be able to stand up for what is right, uh, to bring about your peace, to bring about your kingdom here on this earth. God, as peacemakers, as your ambassadors to, of reconciliation, we thank you and we praise you. Amen.